Thanks, Jack. <laughs> uh, hey, first try. We got it. We got it going. That was awesome. Um, what's up, guys? How we doing? Uh, how was how was today? What was the best part about today? Someone tell me. Football. The dance. What was it? The mud. The food. Those hot dogs were fire. F Y E fire. Those hot dogs. Um, guys, I love mud football. I do. I love mud football. Is like a, a love language of mine. That was that was beautiful to watch. Uh, great job to everyone involved. Um, also, I think I saw people with literally like just a, a like an inch thick layer of mud on them, like just walking around. Was that you? Raise that hand if it, if it was you. Yeah, beautiful. It was great, uh, guys. Give it up one time for the band too. That was awesome. Band's been killing it all weekend. Um, and let's, I, I want to do one round of applause also for your leaders. Give it up for your leaders one time. You guys got some great leaders. Uh, wow, some awesome leaders. Uh, so let, let's just get right into it. So when we left off this morning, we left off in a pretty tough spot, right? We, we talked about um, sin. We talked about how there's two main consequences to sin. The first one is, is this. Well, actually, let me start by saying that we all are in this, the same position, the same boat, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We talked about the, the Grand Canyon, right? And my grandma and me and a, and a track star, right? And unable to, to jump. No matter how good you are, you can't jump the Grand Canyon. You can't overcome sin, no matter how good you are. Then we talked about how there's two main consequences of sin. The first one is that is the thorns and thistles, that life won't be satisfying while we're here on earth. And the second one is the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God. Uh, and this is what we deserve. And we also left in a pretty uh, tough spot for the disciples, if you remember. These fishermen were bailing water out of a boat to try to survive, and they wake Jesus up and they say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown, right? And we kind of said, this is like our, our situation with sin, right? And so I want to finish that, that passage as kind of a, you know, a foundation for what we're going to talk about. And so this is what it says. Uh, I'm actually just going to read it up here. Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves, and said to the, uh, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. So imagine this. Imagine just a, a storm that's loud and thunder and rain and people freaking out. And Jesus just steps up and goes, quiet, be still. And it's glass. There's nothing. It's quiet. Could you imagine being in that boat and seeing that? This is insane. The wind died down. It was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Is it possible that Jesus dealt with our sin problem the same way he dealt with this problem? Is it possible that he decided to flex his muscles and say, I'm going to deal with this issue? Let's see what Jesus did to, to solve our sin problem. We're going to pick up in in John 18, it says this. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, 
Judas was one of Jesus' best friends. He's one of his 12 disciples, and he betrayed him for a bag of silver. Gave him up to authorities who were looking to arrest him. And so it says this, it says, Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So they're coming armed to arrest Jesus. This, uh, in some commentaries, it says that this was about 100 people that came to arrest Jesus, to arrest one man. Jesus, verse 4, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it that you want? So have any of you guys uh, seen the, movie, the uh, show Cops? Any of you guys watch Cops? Yeah, he has a few of you. All right, if you don't know the show Cops, uh, I, don't think, I don't even know if they showed anymore, but uh, basically all it is is criminals getting caught by the police and running and cops chasing criminals, okay? So it's literally the whole show is just like these tubby cops just chasing these guys, right? And so, um, so what do, when, when criminals are caught, when they're getting arrested, what do they usually do? They run, right? You're trying, to, you're trying to get away. What does Jesus do? He walks out to them, to this 100 or more armed soldiers, and he says, who is it you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. It gets crazier. It said, Jesus said, I am he. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men, know. Let these men go. Sorry, excuse me. So Jesus, this is confusing, right? We just saw Jesus calm the storm, right? We want Jesus to deal with our sin problem. You and I are dealing with this issue that we said is, is affecting our entire lives, right? It's causing us to go from doctor to doctor to sit on the throne of our own lives. And so we want Jesus to deal with it just the same way he dealt with the storm. And what does he do? He hands himself over. What are you doing, Jesus? You know, Jesus, you're supposed to solve this issue, not give yourself over. You made them fall down at a word, at saying, I am he. They fell down, and yet you let them arrest you? What are you doing? What is Jesus doing? This doesn't make any sense. So Jesus gets arrested, and it goes on. This is in, uh, we're going to pick up in Mark. It says this. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the teachers of the law and the whole Sanhedrin, which was just the, the Jewish government, um, they made their plans. So they bound Jesus, they led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, said Jesus. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Jesus, speak up. There's how many instances, Jesus, have there been of you getting out of these situations where they're accusing you of something, trying to trap you, and you have the perfect answer to get out of it? You've done this numerous times. Why not now? Jesus, deal with my sin problem. Deal with our sin problem. Why are you doing this? Now it was custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists 
who had committed murder in the uprising. So Barabbas was this dude who was part of this group called the Insurrectionists, and they had formed a rebellion against the government. Their Jewish people were being uh, oppressed at this time, and they were rebelling against the government. And it says Barabbas had been a part of that, and he'd committed murder. And so he was in jail. Rightfully so, right? If you kill someone, you're in jail. So Barabbas is in prison right now. And the crowd comes up, verse 8, says, and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate released, release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? But they shouted all the louder, crucify him, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, wanting to please the people around him, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. So imagine this. Imagine you're Barabbas. You're sitting in jail. You know it's just a matter of time before they kill you for what you did. Rightfully so. You're, it's just. And you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, you start hearing chants. And you hear, Barabbas, Barabbas, right? And you think, oh my gosh, my time, my time's coming. And then you hear, crucify him, crucify him. And you're making your peace. This is the end of your life. And the guard walks over to your cell. He unlocks it. And you think he's going to lead you away to be crucified. And he says, you're free to go. Imagine that. So, and imagine this. So Jesus then went, and it says he got flogged. And what flogging was is this. They, they would beat him over and over again. And what they did at the end, would they, they would take this thing called the cat of nine tails. And it was a whip, and it had nine attachments on the end. And what they had put in the attachments were pieces of bone, pieces of glass, anything sharp. And what they would do is they put you against a post, and they would whip you with the cat of nine tails. And what would happen, it would whip around your flesh, and it would dig in, and when they ripped it out, it would rip out your skin and, and flesh. Jesus, they said that 40 lashes with the cat of nine tails would kill a person. Jesus got 39. The Romans were masters of torture. And so um, just picture this with me. Jesus, perfect, healing people, teaching people, calming storms, walking on water, Jesus is getting flogged with the cat of nine tails and Barabbas, prisoner, murderer, rebel, rebel, is walking free. Maybe, maybe Barabbas had a nice meal that night with his family. Maybe he hung out with his friends. He's free. And Jesus is being flogged. Why? Why is Barabbas free while Jesus is suffering? Why is this happening? Let's keep going. After that, after Jesus was flogged, 
The soldiers, this is verse 16 in Mark. The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spit on him. Can you imagine anything more degrading than being spit on? Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to be crucified. So they're, they're just mocking Jesus at this point, right? And if you remember, thorns were a part of the deal for us, right? Thorns and thistles you will get because you've sinned against me, God said in the garden. And now they're twisting together a crown of thorns for Jesus. He's wearing it, a king's crown. Is it possible that Jesus is taking the curse that was meant for us, the punishment that was meant for us? He's literally wearing it. Is it possible? Jesus, when are you going to get yourself out of this? Calm the storm, Jesus. This doesn't look like calming the storm, right? Let's keep going. Jesus is led out to be crucified. He has to carry his own cross. And crucifixion uh, was actually, the Romans, like I said, were masters of torture. And it was maybe the most gruesome way to die ever devised. It was really terrible. And so what they would do is they would, they would stretch out your hands and they would drive huge nails like railroad ties into your wrists, um, each wrist or your hand, and they would bind it. And then they would put your feet together like this and they would drive another stake through your, through your ankles. Okay. And people think uh, crucifixion that it might be because of blood loss that you die or a number of things, right? It actually wasn't. It was when they dropped the cross into the ground, your shoulders would dislocate from the force. And so there was so much pressure on your diaphragm, on your lungs, that you couldn't breathe when you were, when you were sunk down into the, into the hole, when the cross goes into the hole. And so what you would have to do is you'd have to pull up on, your, on the stakes that were in your ankles and your wrist just to get a breath. So you breathe and then you go back down. And then when you need another breath, you would pull yourself back up. It was genius torture. And so this is how Jesus was tortured. Why? Why, Jesus? So Jesus is on the cross. And it says this. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is a really strange thing to say, right? Uh, why have, God, why have you forsaken me? You might think, what? I thought Jesus was sinless. He's not supposed to forsake God, right? And so this is what actually is happening here. Jesus is quoting scripture. He's quoting a, a, a verse from the Old Testament from Psalm 22. And what that psalm is about 
is about a, a servant who will go and suffer for the sake of his people. And so he's quoting that. And notice he says this. Notice he says, my God, my God. When Jesus is in pain here, he doesn't say, my wrists, my wrists. He doesn't say, my, my feet, my feet. He says, my God, my God. So what is he saying? What he's saying is this. Jesus, this is crazy. Hang with me for a second. Jesus had enjoyed the relationship we were created for, a perfect relationship with the Father for eternity, since the beginning of time. He'd enjoyed that relationship. And when Jesus went to the cross, when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That relationship had to be broken because he had to experience what we were meant to experience. So the relationship was broken between him and God, and he's experiencing separation for the first time. And so maybe in your life you felt lonely. Maybe in your life you felt deserted and hurt. And I, I don't want to minimize that. I'm sure there's been some really hard things that happened in this room. It pales in comparison to what Jesus is experiencing here. He is experiencing the more hurt and loneliness and desertion than we could ever experience in a lifetime, all in one moment. He, we, we can't even comprehend this. The, this. This pain that Jesus is feeling from the separation from his father is greater than the physical pain he was experiencing at this moment. It was greater than any pain we could ever imagine. He, he's experiencing it. Why is, he, why is he putting himself through this? Like I said, he was a volunteer. He walked out. He gave himself over. Why is Jesus putting himself through this? There's some people watching this. And it says this. When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down he said. And so what, what's going on is this, is they offered him this, uh, this, this thing called wine vinegar. And it, what it was was numbing. It was to numb the pain. And so these people just don't, they don't understand what's going on here. And what they don't understand is this, is that Jesus, to take care of our sin problem, they're, they're watching to see if something miraculous is going to happen. If someone, Elijah was a prophet from the Old Testament and they wanted to see if he's going to come down and save him in miraculous glory, right? And so they're like, let's numb his pain and keep him alive a little longer. They want to see something miraculous, like Jesus calming the storm, like what we've been talking about. But here's the thing. Jesus, they were looking at Jesus' power. Jesus on the cross was his power, that he gave up his life. That he didn't have to. It wasn't taken from him. He wasn't a victim. He was a volunteer. This was his power that he stayed on the cross. There's another person there. It says this. The, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And here's this other guy. He's a Roman soldier. It says, the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died. He said, surely this man was a son of God. He saw how he died and said, this is the son of God. That doesn't make sense unless you know what's going on. Unless you know that Jesus' weakness, Jesus' giving up of himself was his power. 
when he went to the cross and he stayed. So why did he do it? Why did he do it? Romans 5.8 says this. I think this is our answer. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It doesn't say when Jake cleaned up his life, then Christ died for him. When Rachel became a better person, Jesus died for her. No, while we were still sinners, while we were in the midst of our worst sin, Christ died for us. So why did he hand himself over to be arrested? Why did he go to trial and say nothing? Why did he get flogged 39 times while Barabbas walked free? Why did he go to the cross and hang there and pull himself up just to get a breath? Why did he experience the, the separation from the Father that was worse than even the physical pain? It's because he loves you and me. He was thinking of us. He was thinking of his people when he hung on the cross. It says this, um, I forget who, this is, who uh, said this originally, but in the greatest act of love in human history, Jesus Christ stayed on the cross for you and for me. He stayed because he loves you like crazy. He was willing to die for you. The Bible also says, maybe, uh, actually goes on in Romans 8, it says, maybe for a righteous person, someone might be willing to die, but not for a sinner, not for someone who's actively turning their back from that person, but that's exactly what Jesus did. While we were kicking him off the throne of our lives, he went to the cross for you to show you how much he loves you. This is not some, some made-up myth. This is, this is history. This is what Jesus actually did. And he was thinking of you. This kind of love demands a response. And um, so I wanna, what I want to do to close is to show you this scene of two people who respond incredibly differently to, to what Jesus did. It says this, so he was, he's on the cross, and there's two criminals on each side of him. And it says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save us and yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The first criminal says this, says, Jesus, save me now. What, what does he focus on? He's focused on himself and the here and now. He's focused on the present, just like we talked about last night. Exactly. And except, you know, and the opposite would be eternity, right? He's focused on what is good for me right now. Like what we said night one, that, that you walk around every day thinking, what am I going to do next? What's best for me? You're on the throne of your life. That's what is going on with this, this first man. But the second man has his eyes set on eternity. He has his eyes set 
on Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, he looks at me and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Which one are you? Are you the person focused on the here and now, the what's next? Are you going to go home and just back to the, the same you, you on the throne, you calling the shots? Or will you be like the second man saying, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Will you be the one focused on eternity, focused on forever, focused on Jesus? Like I said, this kind of love demands a response. And so what, what is your response? Jesus is on one knee right now to you through the cross. What is your response to him? This kind of love demands a response. This is the love, the relationship, the security. Every, this is what you've been looking for your whole life. I promise you this is it. And so this is too important to just talk about and then not give it what it's worth. And so I'm going to give you a gift tonight. And when I say it, you're not going to think it's a gift, but I promise you it is. So when I say go, um, when I say amen, actually, after I pray, we're going to leave here and, and go outside. It's a beautiful night. Um, we've had great weather. And we're going to go outside for 20 minutes. And a couple of things I want to challenge you guys in is if you came here with maybe a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a best friend, respect them enough to give them this time by themselves. Respect yourself enough to, to have this time for yourself, okay? Um, and so just go enjoy the night for 20 minutes. You don't have to do anything. You can sit there and, and just uh, sleep if you wanted. But I would challenge you in this, that this is so important. If what I said is true, if what... What we said the first thing is true, that the most important thing about you is what you think about when you think about God, then do yourself a favor and consider what we've talked about for 20 minutes. Think about it critically, harder than you've ever thought about anything else. Give it 20 minutes. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what you guys experience. Um, this is the love you've been looking for your whole life. This is the relationship you were designed for. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to leave silently. So just no, no talking as we leave. Just leave silently, and in 20 minutes you'll hear something, and uh, we'll bring you back in. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for, wow, thank you for loving us enough to go to the cross, God. You could have left at any time. You could have... Uh, flexed your muscles. You could have calmed the storm like you did. But Lord, your power was in that you laid down your life. It was not taken from you. You were not a victim. You gave it up for me and for my friends here. And so, Father, thank you so much for loving us, for having a rescue plan for us. While we were in the boat ready to die, Lord, you had a rescue plan for us in Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would be challenged tonight to consider that and to trust it with our whole lives. So Lord, we, we thank you, and I pray for this time. It's in your sons let me pray. Amen. Amen.